I'm Nick Newton, joined by Will Miles. Welcome to Stand Up and Holler. On tonight's episode, we break down everything that went wrong out in Salt Lake City. Well, uh, not the prettiest start for our Gators this year. And after that, we will, after we do a, a thorough analysis of the Utah loss, we will move on and discuss a little bit about the McNeese State game and maybe what the Gators can expect going forward for the rest of the season. Will, uh, before we get started, man, Tampa, Florida area here, Spectrum Cable decides to cut the cut the feed out. I felt like I was watching the, the the Sopranos again, man. Like it just the whole screen goes black. Have no idea what's going on. And then we quickly figure out that oh it's a dispute with Disney. Oh wonderful. Like I just want to give some tips to the people at Spectrum. If you're trying to teach the people of Florida that Disney wants more money, we know. Like we they live they're our neighbors, man. We the mouse gets what the mouse wants. It's not exactly a big secret to the people of Florida. That's on spectrum for dropping the ball on that one, man. I, Disney, of course, they agree. Of course, they're going to want their money. Of course, they're going to ask for more money. Like they, they blacked out the whole weekend of college football. I'm pretty sure it's the ESPN channels are still blacked out. Well, so thank you, uh, spectrum and Disney. That was, that was a wonderful experience that should get some attention from people. And if you are one of those people affected, be sure to call up Spectrum and and get something back from them, man. That's terrible. Yeah. That's just absolutely <laughs> terrible. I'm, I'm almost, I'm probably almost as angry about that as I am about some aspects of this Utah loss. Well, <laughs> well, I mean, the good news is is that you missed the first drive for Utah. Then on the, uh, on the, uh, I think you probably thought I was screwing with you when I'm like texting you up seventy yard touchdown to open things up. <laughs> I, I, but I didn't. Well, I I didn't think that. I did not think you were screwing that because I I read the read and reaction preseason magazine where Will Miles laid that out, that that might be a potential risk with the defense. But you know what? We'll get to that. We'll get to that. Let's first start with your general thoughts on the game. We'll, we'll break down the offense and the defense separately here. But first off, what are your general thoughts about this loss to Utah? So my general thoughts are that this game was an affront to the value proposition that Billy Napier sold when he came into the, into the program. So his value proposition is organizational excellence. If I were to, if I were to sit there and try to distill what I thought when Billy Napier come in, came in and was hired, it's organizational excellence. It's that we're going to have the right people in the right spot to make sure that we may get beat, but we're not going to get beat with, we're not going to beat ourselves. We're going to do the things on the field. We're going to be prepared for every opportunity. Like we watched YouTube videos where he'd like broken down what he calls at certain areas of the team, having advanced scouts out there, looking at the tendencies of the opponents and film like three games out, like all this sort of stuff. And all of a sudden that just fell apart when you come, when you've got the, the, the third and one false starts, when you've got the delay of game where Mertz doesn't call a timeout and neither does Napier on the sideline, when you don't have enough guys out for the field goal, when it's, when they're up by 13 points. And with that missed field goal, you still maybe had an opportunity when you take the ball over with five minutes and 50 seconds after that field goal and use five of those minutes to drive down the field and turn the ball over on downs. And then when you've got the two number threes on the punt, when you force the punt fourth and three, you're down seven to three, there's an opportunity to flip things. And all of a sudden it's 14 to three and the game's pretty much over. So uh, honestly, like the mistakes in general, I think you could put them in a lot of different categories, but there are some that fall into the category that they, they are an affront to the value proposition of organizational excellence. And I want Billy Napier to get back to organizational excellence. Like I don't honestly 
at this point, I'm not necessarily looking for um, an enormous amount of wins. I think, you know, given what we saw the other day, that might be a problem, but we got to start heading in the right direction. And, and, you know, the, the, the one that really got me or the two that really got me were the illegal formations where you're sitting there third and one, second and one, you're running the ball, you know, you're running the ball. All you need is the wide, the right wide receivers to be up on the line of scrimmage. And they can't do that. Right. That's basic high school stuff. That's first day install stuff. And guys who can't handle that shouldn't be on the field. Napier in his press conference the other day talked about, you know, this sort of came out of nowhere that they were clean during camp. And I just, I don't believe that because if you were clean during camp, lining things up, you should be clean during the game and certainly should be clean twice, right? You should, shouldn't have it happen twice. So um, a lot of things to correct, a lot of things that went wrong. Um, the good news is it's just one loss. And so, you know, whether you lose by 50 or whether you lose 24 to 11 or whether you look inept or whether you look fantastic, doesn't really matter. You're still 0-1. And, uh, you know, obviously it would have been better to have been inept and still somehow pulled out a win. But look, there's a lot of there's a lot of teams that didn't play a team like Utah. And I do think we need to take that into account. The idea that, um, you know, there, there are quarterbacks out there who didn't have to play the same kind of opponent. You know, you think about Jackson Dart for Old Miss, got to play against Mercer. Jalen Milrow got to play against Middle Tennessee. Connor Wegman at A&M got to play against New Mexico. K.J. Jefferson for Arkansas got to play against Western Carolina. Carson Beck got to play against UT Martin. It's not a coincidence that those are the five highest rated quarterbacks in the, uh, in college or in, in the sec. And they played a bunch of, <laughs> a bunch of also rands. And then you start looking down at the bottom end of the quarterback rankings in the sec. And you've got Utah with Graham Mertz. at the very bottom, at least when it comes to yards above replacement, you got Joe Milton for Virginia, Devin Leary for Boise state. You've got Spencer Rattler for North Carolina. And then you've got Will Rogers and AJ Swan, who I think are guys that we didn't think were necessarily going to be that good who struggled against a couple of, a couple of teams that were, that were relatively bad. So my overall thoughts are value proposition. We need to go back to that basic. And, uh, and, and I think there's still room for growth, still room for improvement. Um, certainly room for growth and room for improvement. But my concern is that you're improving things that everybody already is doing. So like your opponents are already lining up correctly. If you're spending time on figuring out how to line up correctly, you're not spending time, game planning for the opponent. So the good news is, is you should have two weeks. You shouldn't have to game plan for McNeese and uh, you know, we'll sort of see where we go from there. Yeah. There were some interesting, I had an interesting range of emotions with this too, over the weekend, because it's like you said, the one thing you think of with Napier is like, Hey, like we're going to put a team on the field that we're going to be organized. We're not going to beat ourselves. And he even said it in this press conference, there was a lot of the Gators beating the Gators out there on Thursday night, but you look at a win like Colorado and you hear the you start hearing the chirping around. Well, they overturned a roster and they go in, they they beat the team that went to the national title game. You hear a lot of these things, but then you look at Clemson on Monday night, right? You go in there, they they had one of the premier offseason hires for offensive coordinators with Garrett Riley leaving TCU to come over to Clemson. That didn't look so great. So I, I don't know that I know there's a lot of conversation going up around Billy Napier with the offensive coordinator position right now. And I think that's going to be a narrative for the rest of the season. And if Billy wants that to die down, he he needs to show that he can handle that on game days. Because I think a lot of that, too, I, I remember specifically in the playoff game with Georgia and Ohio State last year. One of the key plays of the game, Ohio State faked a punt, and they actually, ex they actually executed it. They got the first down. But Kirby was sprinted down the sideline, had called a timeout right before the snap got off, ended up being timeout. Ohio, I believe Ohio State ended up putting the ball away. And Georgia, it made a huge difference in the game. It ended up being a one-possession game. That's a huge difference. 
it's interesting to me because I I didn't buy into the whole Billy Napier needs an OC conversation this offseason for one simple reason. I didn't think the offense was the issue last year. I thought there was plenty of games where the offense performed quite well. I, I do think that we didn't maybe maximize what Anthony Richardson could offer in the run game at times. There might have been reasons behind that, though. But the interesting piece for me, Will, is for a coach that has eight rows of staffers and six rows of players in the team photo, it's interesting that you want to hold on to more responsibility. Like there seems to be a commitment to divvying out the responsibility across the organization. But in this one particular area, you're going to carry an extra amount of work, which would be totally fine if we weren't seeing guys with the same numbers around the field or guys, which by the way, I'm not saying every aspect of that is, is Billy Napier's responsibility on game day. Although ultimately he is responsible. The buck does stop with him. He said so himself, but you'd like to see some of this stuff get cleaned up. You'd like to see a kicker who was doing the same thing at the end of last season, go out and miss a 31 yard field goal. You'd like to see maybe that get addressed at some point. It just seems like some of these mistakes will – you need that more of a CEO angle on this, and I do think that is going to be a narrative. I'm not there yet with with saying we have to get an OC with Bill Napier, but I, I can understand the conversation, and I do think that that is going to be a narrative that follows him for the rest of the season. I mean, I think it's a conversation that I would suggest we have at the end of the year because yeah. we'll have more than one data point to be able to have that conversation. I also think, like, if you look at the NFL, um, Andy Reid was somebody who got very highly criticized that guy's for, a okay, lot of, right? <laughs> for a lot of his in-game stuff. But the problem, or the at least the the silver lining and all that stuff, even when he made the in-game gaffes, was that the offense was really, really good. So if we come to the end of the year and Florida's got a really good offense, but they're still having sort of those clock management issues and things like that, I think you could... You you could make a case that you don't need an offensive coordinator. What you need is sort of a game support person who's going to help Billy Napier make those calls, right? Where instead of the head coach running down to call the timeout, it's somebody else who's been empowered to do that sort of thing. So whether you delegate the offensive play calling or whether you whether you delegate the game management stuff, I don't know it necessarily matters, but I think there is a, a benefit to doing that. Look, Andy Reid was a heck of a coach and was really, really good at making sure that those offenses in both Philadelphia and Kansas City were really good from the start. He had a distinct skill and giving that up and delegating that meant that he was going to one, not be able to focus on some of those game day things. But the other thing that it meant was that the offense was going to get worse because he was delegating those things. I'm sure that's what Billy Napier feels is that if he delegates that offensive responsibility to other people, the offense will be worse. And so if that's true, and if he truly has a, a, uh, a knack for being able to call offensive plays and we see that develop over the season, I have no problem with him remaining the offensive coordinator. What I have a problem with is him maintaining all of the responsibilities that are traditionally for a head coach, because the reason coaches delegate that offensive coordinator to somebody else is because of all those other res responsibilities. Now, look, I mean, we would have said the same thing about Jimbo Fisher last year. I think a lot of Texas A&M fans would have said he's never going to bring in an offensive coordinator. And all of a sudden he brings in Bobby Petrino. But Petrino has a gravitas to him in terms of being a play caller that I think Jimbo Fisher, it becomes a no-brainer to bring in a guy like that. So that's the other thing, right, is who are you going to get? And after one game, you're not going to get anybody. So let's let it ride for the entire year. Let's take a look well, yeah. at it. And uh, that's you know, we'll, we'll see where we happen. are at the end of the year. That's definitely what's going to happen. But I, I do think it's a conversation that is going to pick up steam if you see particularly if you see the types of mistakes we saw on the field with procedure penalties and lack of it really just 
that's the part that really drives you crazy. It just feels like a lack of attention to detail. And Napier's, I think we all know that Napier's not that guy. That's not what he's selling. That's like you said, that's really what he's selling to us well, is that he is so, the, so the, the attention to detail guy. And then when we play that sloppy, hey, we don't have to be more talented than the team across the field from us. Although Utah got a lot of respect for the program, they had plenty of guys out themselves. We had a few guys out. They had plenty out themselves. So for us just to go in there and, and be that flat, I don't care if we are out, man. Like when we go play Georgia, let's not have a bunch of procedure penalties. Let's at least put it on the field and play, guys. Like Let's be able to line the hell up. That's, well, that's, I, that's the part that's frustrating with this loss. So, so what I think it actually points out is that there are a lot more. So the one of my colleagues at work calls them Facebook corporations, which is a company that you know because you work with them that they don't do things correctly. But when you look at their Facebook posts, everything is great. Right. And we've all got friends like that, right. Where like somebody's Facebook in general. Yeah. But somebody's, but but my (laughs) point is, you know, there are some people who really, really have a happy marriage and post happy anniversary. And there are some people who, you know, are getting a divorce because you've had conversations about where the relationship is and they're still going, Oh, I love my husband. Happy anniversary. Or I love my wife. Happy anniversary. And you know, right. Because you know, those people inside and out. And I think in many ways, this, the question that we're trying to ask here is, is that value prop of organizational excellence? Excellence, a Facebook value proposition, or is it a real value proposition? At least in the SEC, right? Is it a Facebook proposition, or is it a real real value proposition? And Billy Napier's going to have to answer that. And we're going to get a definitive answer one way or another. But this is one data point in the Facebook yeah. category, right? It's it's Absolutely. it's afterwards. It's like or before the game. It's like we're ready. We're going to be okay. We're going to be good. I had a bunch of people sending me info beforehand where there was a lot of confidence from people who'd seen practice and from the coaching staff and all sorts of stuff. And uh, you know, at the end of the day, they got their butt whipped. So you know, look again. No one will remember this if they're five and two, six games from now. Everyone will remember this if they're three and four, six games from now. And that's that's the reality is that I wrote in my article, I said specifically that the time, I, I didn't say it this way, but this is, or I didn't say this directly, but this is kind of what I meant. The time for talking is over. You're, we've gotten a lot of talk and we got a six and eight record. At some point, that record has to turn around. And, you know, it starts with McNeese. Obviously, that one should be a win. But then it, it bleeds into Tennessee. Like you're going to have to win some of these tough games that are coming up on the schedule. And look, Florida can still win the SEC East. Florida can still win the SEC. I don't think they're going to, but they can still win those things. Those things are still in front of them. So, you know, the idea that any of the players are going to give up, like, like I, I found that hilarious. It's like, oh, the players, they're already looking to transfer. It's like, it's one game, guys. Come on. Like, have a little bit of pride and and believe that these guys are going to have a little bit of pride. But, you know, again, it's one data point. It's the only data point we have, and it's heading in the wrong direction. So, Last year, there were a lot of times where Anthony Richardson put up a great performance and we got really, really excited. And then he put up a crappy performance a week later and we were like, oh, and especially the fan base was like, Richardson's terrible. And the next week he put a good, good performance. So let's see, right? Next week should be a good performance by everybody on the field because of who we're playing. And then the question is, can they sustain it against Tennessee? And, and we're going to see. Yeah, it is one game. That's why I want, I want to be clear. I'm, I, I do. And, and by the way, a lot of the analysis I've listened to about the Utah game uh, not many people have said Utah is just good. <laughs> Utah's a good team. That's a good football team that won two Pac-12 titles in a row. And yeah, the, the difference they, is a good, they, a good football team be, doesn't make you line up incorrectly. That, well, right? that's, a, that's a, what a good football me. team doesn't. That's make what you, I'm saying. Yeah. That's that's the part that bothers me. Will it's like, but you you're going out. You need to bring you need to bring your best game against them. And if you're not even lining up correctly, that you're not even giving yourself a shot. 
you're not giving yourself a real chance on that. And that's the part that need that I need to see cleaned up going forward with this team. Like, Hey, look, there are, there's a ceiling on what we can be. Like there's an absolute ceiling on what we can be, but if we don't do the little things right, it's going to be, it's going to get ugly quick. And that's, that's the part that bothers me. That that was the part that bothered me the most about this performance, but it is one game. It was a road environment. Uh, you know, you're missing, let's, let's go up front. Let's talk on the offensive line. Will here, you were missing a key standout center King Kingsley Egwakin, uh missed the game. I, I don't know the degree to which that had an impact as Napier after the game says slaughter slaughter played as well as he could. I, he didn't really throw him under the bus or anything, but I, I would think that is somewhat of a significant impact to be losing a guy that's uh, your starting center for two years and communicates all the reads on the line. Uh, Mertz was certainly under pressure for a significant portion of the night. Yeah, I mean, look, I think some of that was on Mertz, some of that was on the running back, some of that was on the offensive line. But you know, Utah isn't isn't crying having Rising and Keithy out, and right. so I'm not I'm not ready to cry about about uh, Slaughter being in there. They ran for 0.6 yards per rush. Like now, granted, that has sack numbers in there as well, but 21 rushes, 13 yards, just not good enough. And irrespective of whether it's the running backs, the 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 wide receivers not blocking, the offensive line struggling. You know, there was one play I highlighted where I actually thought Slaughter did a pretty decent job in the center or the nose tackle did a really awesome job sort of spinning off of him. And that was one of the sacks. Like sometimes you just get beat, right? And and the reality is, and this is where I really kind of come down for the offensive performance as a whole, is this offense is not explosive enough to um, – to make any sort of mistakes. And the the issue for, for Florida is they made a couple of mistakes on defense and Utah turned those into seven. Utah made a couple of mistakes on defense and Florida turned it into a red zone possession. And then once they got in the red zone, everything stalled. And uh, yeah, that, that's the difference in the game right there. I mean, if Florida punches the ball in the first couple of times they're in the red zone, rather than settling for field goals, you know, all of a sudden it's a 14 to seven game when they have that stupid penalty with the two number threes on the field. Yeah. It ties it at 14, 14, but it's still a ball game. The fact that their explosive plays, even like the throw to Pearsall, the 40 yard throw to Pearsall, Pearsall was open down the sideline with no safety, no deep safety help. That's a touchdown. If the ball's on the inside, instead he's catching it with his back to the end zone and go and just trying to get his feet in and he goes out of bounds. It's still a 40 yard gain. It's still a significant play, but it's not what it could have been. And so that's the reality, right? Is that there are, um, you know, there are just, there are opportunities to make plays. Florida's going to have to make those plays when they have them, and they can't have the negative plays because they're not good enough to overcome them, uh, overcome them, right? A few years ago with Kyle Trask, I was confident they were going to convert a third and 13. Last year with Anthony Richardson, I at least thought they had a chance to convert a third and 13. The other day against Utah, I didn't think they had a shot. Third and 13, I was like, this one's over. Time to punt the ball the other direction. Um you know, and that's just where they sit as an offense. And I think overall offensively, that's kind of what we're going to see this year. And it's discouraging, but that is what it is. So before the game, we talked about the number one rule for the offense this season, feed two, feed seven, right? Uh, did not follow that one in game one here, Will. But part of it, part of it is that the game, uh, ETN ends up with seven carries on the game and Montreal Johnson ends up with three. But part of it, Will, is that we were down 24 to three pretty early in the third quarter. And so a lot of people who are pointing to the stats that Mertz put up that 31 of 44 for uh, what, 333 yards and a touchdown there. After falling behind 24 to three, Mertz was 22 for 29 for 218 yards and a touchdown. So he did the, the bulk of those numbers came down 
down 24-3 where we just tossed the game plan out and we're, we're passing the ball to play catch up. Yeah, I mean, it was garbage time numbers, right? And yeah. even then, it wasn't efficient. So you look in the first half, he averaged 8.1 yards per throw. Um, in the second half, he averaged 7.3. Overall, he averaged a 7.6. Last year, the NCAA average was 7.5. I'm a huge, huge, huge believer in efficiency numbers at quarterback, not total numbers like yards or completions. So the fact that he completed 70% of his throws or 71% of his throws, but only averaged 7.6 yards per attempt, right? Because there you're not talking about yards per completion. What it suggests is, is that there weren't a whole lot of yards to be found when he completed the ball not a lot of explosive explosivity at all on offense in fact four explosive plays i got the 37 yard pass to burke a 24 yard pass to burke a 40 yard pass to pearsall and then a 23 yard pass to odom those were the only 20 yard plays that they had although maybe the touchdown was 20 the i think it was like 19 19 yeah. yeah, 19 yards yeah. on the touchdown. So they only had four explosive plays. Now, they had more explosive plays than Utah, which is kind of interesting when you think about it. But they they gifted Utah essentially 14 points, once with the uh, once with the ridiculous penalty on the punt and then once with the interception. And you gift a team 14 points and you're going to struggle over the, uh, you know, <laughs> over the course of the game. And the other thing is Utah had two explosives. Both of them went for touchdowns. The 70-yard pass to Parks to open up the game, the 27-yard run for Johnson – um, those both go four touchdowns. So it's not like they got stopped at the 12 and then they ran it in from there. The only time they scored a touchdown when it wasn't an explosive play was after Florida threw the interception and they didn't have to have an explosive play to get that touchdown, right? And and uh, Something you know, we that, brought up on the show last week. Mertz, yeah. Mertz had issues with that in big road games all, all last season where he would turn, there'd be a turnover. Hey, they, Mertz also fumbled. Luckily, it went out of bounds. Ends up fumbling. Uh, it ends up fumbling one yard shy of, of the of the goal line overall, or not the goal line, the first down on a third down run at one point. And the third down run was only set up because I think we had gotten a penalty right before that. So that had, was the that was the delay of game. Yeah. So it's it's just it was one thing after another the other night, and that's why I I don't come into this pinning this game. This was a complete team failure across the board. It really was. Overall, though, what did you take away from the game? Like, so in terms of uh, the the lack of commitment to the run game, Billy Napier did address that in his press conference on Monday, where he said, "I, I think we do need to be more committed to that running game." I, I just really, in the first half, there even lack of attempts. You you need to get the ball in those guys' hands. You need to get the ball on ETN two and seven. Need to get the ball. That I don't I don't even care what the front looks like. Well, <laughs> these guys are just too talented to not use. This they're too talented to not use. But I'll, I'll say this, Mertz did show enough uh, of being – he showed the capability of being a game man- manager to me. I'm not going to sit here and try to spin it into something great that I saw. I think we saw pretty much who he was. That It was pretty consistent with what we saw at Wisconsin. He has some ups. He has some downs. Is he going to have a, a few downs that kill you at a couple points or not? I think that's going to be the difference in a lot of games with him. But he's not a guy that's totally incapable – but he's also not going to be the guy that's going to be the difference in the game to go go when you get the game more often than not in these big moments against these big teams. No, so last year at Wisconsin, he averaged 7.5 yards per attempt. He had a QB rating of 135. Against Utah the other day, he had 7.6 yards per attempt and 137 for his, cor- so for his quarterback rating. was who he, he was. He was who he was. If you look at the SEC overall, QB rating, 13th out of 14th. Yards per attempt, 13th yeah. out of 14th. Yards above replacement, 14th out of 14th. You look in the country, QB rating, 70th, 70th out of 124 guys who threw more than 14 passes. Yards per attempt, 61. 
81 out of 124. Yards above replacement, 88 out of 124. So, and, and you look at QBR, that was that's sort of an ESPN stat. He was down at the bottom there, the SEC as well for that. So efficiency-wise, he's exactly what he was at Wisconsin. And everybody wanted to believe that it was going to be different. And look, I do think that as we talk, as we add in the McNeese's of the world, and as we add in the Charlotte's of the world, then all of a sudden those stats may go up quite a bit, but essentially we got a performance that was in line with everything that we saw at Wisconsin. So Mertz is not a savior. He is not going to win them a ton of games. Anthony Richardson won them some games last year. He won them the game against Utah, right? Like the team played pretty well. Obviously Amari Bernie makes a huge play. There were a lot of guys who contributed, but at the end of the day, Anthony Richardson, without him, if they had Graham Mertz last year, they lose that game to Utah and it's not particularly close. And that's what we saw this year, right? Is that there were some mistakes on the defensive side of the ball couldn't get the running game going the same way they did last year, but some of that was that Anthony Richardson helped get the run game going last year. And if AR had been there this year, I think Florida at least is much more competitive, if not winning that game, because Utah just basically sat on it once they got up 24 to three. They had yeah. zero fear right. that Florida was going to come back. And so, you know, we're going to talk about the defense here in a second. And I think there's a lot of good to there's there's way more good to talk about there than there is on the offensive side of the ball. But um but the reality is, is that this this offense did not threaten Utah at all to a point where Utah just said we can sit on it for the whole second half once they got up 24 to three and, you know, really didn't feel a need to do anything significant to put the game away. And I, that's a problem if you're a, if you're a Florida fan, because it means that when you start facing Georgia, I mean, you're just like ball isn't going to move. Well, even on the on the 40 yard throw that you referenced to Pearsall down the sideline, Pearsall puts a double move on the corner and the safety is way way in the middle of the field still <laughs> Mertz had plenty of room to lead him down the sideline he, he had plenty of room to lead him down the sideline instead he he drifts off toward the uh or down the sideline for a touchdown pretty much he drifts off toward the sideline ends up catching it and getting out of bounds but he, he didn't have to throw the ball like that. He did not have to put the throw to the outside as much as he did on that. And uh, so those little things like on the interception, I heard a lot of people talking about Ricky Pearsall being the one who's responsible. Yeah. Hey, Ricky Pearsall, you should catch that football. But if you're Mertz, if you want to look in the mirror a little bit on that, you gotta be right put, in his belly button. You're, you're putting it. Yeah. You, you put it a little bit high on the outside and you're firing into a guy like that. If he misses at all, it's bouncing up and there's two to three defenders right there. That was a dangerous, that was not a great throw by Mertz either on that. So, but yeah, does Pearsall need to make that catch? Absolutely. So it's a little bit on both of them, that situation, but Mertz needs to make a little bit of a safer choice. You did a great job pointing out some instances where Mertz had uh, a, available receivers where he's just not going to the right spot at times. Yeah, well, look, so, I mean, I, I think what we found out is Graham Mertz is not necessarily the problem, but he's also not necessarily necessarily the solution. Right. That's and that's where we, that's where that's where we sit. Right. Is that right. if if anybody's expected Graham Mertz to come in and his white horse and save the Florida Gators, I think they're going to be disappointed if they're if they're looking for Graham Mertz to just like absolutely crap the bed and be terrible. You're not going to see that either. I think what you're going to see is a guy who's pretty consistently average and maybe even below average. And the sacks are the thing that worry me because Anthony Richardson 
Richardson didn't get sacked last year. And there's a ton of value in being able to escape the pocket and not get sacked, whether it's the offensive line's fault, whether it's Mertz not making a check, whether it's a running back missing a block. There were multiple times where Mertz went down. There were, there were multiple times where Mertz went down where Anthony Richardson wouldn't. And look, I get that they're different players, but if you're an immobile player, you need to know that and you need to play to that. Mertz ends up with eight rushing attempts for negative 29 yards. That minus 3.6 yards per rush drags his yards above replacement down. If he had just been eight for eight yards, his he's just sitting a little bit below average. But eight for negative 29, now he's almost at negative one, which is just terrible. And when you look at it in the in the uh in the NCAA, it's 88th out of 124. And in the SEC, it's dead last. Look, I think a lot of t- a lot of a lot of quarterbacks faced defenses that were that were easier than Mertz faced. And so I think those numbers are going to even out over time. But you can't ignore the fact that in a big time game against a big time opponent, the quarterback play was well below average by a lot of different metrics. And so, again, I'm not saying that he was the only problem. I'm not saying he's the main problem, but I am saying that I don't have he he didn't necessarily put any confidence in me that he's not the solution or that he is the solution. And that's kind of what we've been saying all offseason, right? Like we've been sitting there looking at it going, you know, he's going to have to be non Wisconsin Mertz. Like he's going to have, it's, it's going to have to be the Wisconsin offense that was holding him back. It isn't right. I mean, he's, he's a decent player, not a great player. And that is what he is. And Florida needs a great player at that position because there's holes elsewhere as well. Well, and that's why you stress the, the, he was not protected by that running game at all. And that's why you have to commit to that running game. And when you're dropping back 20 out of 23 snaps on the final two drives, the defense just has, has their ear, Ears pinned back uh, up 40 or 20, 24 to, to three. Uh, that that second to last drive, and they scored. Florida ends up scoring the touchdown. The other thing, too, Will, the clock management there, those last two drives, it speaks to the lack of explosive plays. But Florida eats up. You don't have to have Utah kill the clock. And I know the defense was praised for not giving up many much yards in the second half there, but. You're looking at nine minutes and 28 seconds of the fourth quarter belong to UF. Two possessions. Two possessions. And that that the second to last possession that they scored the touchdown on, it started in the third quarter. So I, I don't think it's a lack of urgency because at that point in the game, I think Napier knew what he was working with. But there's just the lack of explosive plays where we're having to slowly grind out a drive like that where the defense is maybe letting you take some stuff underneath it's 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 tough look when you're eating up the clock and you're down by three possessions there well yeah i I think actually the bigger problem i have is that um every time they made a mistake utah made them pay and when utah made a mistake florida did not make them pay so um you know they had a free play with 12 minutes left and merch didn't throw the ball and how do you not just throw the ball just chuck it up Mm -hmm. like try throw it in the triple coverage i don't care if it's intercepted it comes right back. You get your five yards, but he just ran out of bounds. And those sorts of things for a guy who's a third or fourth year player, that, that just can't happen. You got to take the shot when you get the de- when you get the defense to jump. It's now time to chuck the ball downfield. And they weren't going to get an unabated call. And they weren't going to get any of that stuff. It just basically is a wasted opportunity. So those sorts of things are going to fix. They have to take advantage of it. There were all sorts of like, you know, the the problem is is a lot of the mistakes were mental mistakes. And, you know, one of the things that happens is when you don't trust your, 
your teammates to do their job, you start wondering, are they going to do their job? And everything starts to slow down because you're not sure if you're the running back, whether the offensive lineman is going to take the right assignment. You're not sure if you're the offensive lineman, whether the running back is going to pick up the block. You're not sure if you're the offensive line, whether the check that Mertz called to was appropriate. You're not sure if you're Mertz, if the wide receiver is going to run the right route. And so you delay and you slow things down to make sure the guy's going to do his job. At some point, they're just going to have to let it loose. The mental mistakes are going to have to end and, uh, you know, or it's going to be a long, long season. Well, let's, uh, Let's take a break for a second here. Let's take a deep breath, everybody. We, I, I, I think that was the worst part. We, we still got some tough topics to go here, Will, but just maybe a little halftime break here for us. Uh, let's talk about something that I did really like here. Trey Wilson, you didn't see much. You, you didn't get to see much of him. I know the the feature of the game was probably the uh, double number threes on the punt return, and he he did make a bad decision on one of the punt returns as well. But, man, that kid, all you look for from these freshmen, you just want to see some uh, ability flash. And I think we did see that from number three. I think number three has the potential to be a superstar for the Florida Gators going forward. Well, I mean, that's what we've been hearing in camp. And certainly I think that's some of the stuff that we saw. I think, you know, but he had one rush for nine yards and then uh, um, and then two catches for 24. So yeah. it's not as though they got the ball in his hands all that often. And I think that's the thing is if you've got guys who – but that was sort of the theme for the entire night, right? I mean, you got Look, Montreal Johnson. Playmakers the ball, yeah. Well, Montreal so. Johnson, three catches for 41 yards, but yep. then but then three rushes for six yards. I, I said last night on Gators Breakdown that you know Johnson must have kicked Billy Napier's dog or something. He had one rush for three yards in the first half. Um, same thing, ETN, four catches for 12 yards and then um, seven rushes for 25 yards. So then you look at Eugene Wilson and say, all right, one rush for nine yards, two catches for 24 yards. They're just – they're what – if you've got that go-to list, and I hate to use that phrase because I'm pretty sure that was Nussmeyer and McElwain who talked about their go-to list and that sort of stuff, but you got to get the ball into those guys' hands. Wilson's one of those guys, and so to give him three touches other than the kick returns um, or the punt returns, I, I think is uh, problematic. You got to get the ball to those guys. You got to work on getting the ball to those guys. And uh, you know they had the nine-yard run from from Wilson. Never really went back to it if you can't run it up the middle, you got to try to run it on the outside. And, and uh, you know, I would have liked to have seen them try some of that a little bit, at least um, it's funny. I think the second most successful run of the night was a read option that Graham Mertz kept. So, so, yes. so I'm on board, man, get it to get it to Eugene Wilson as much as you can. Well, let, let's flip over to the defensive side of the football here. Uh, let, let's start the first play, first play, break it down for us. Well, First play. I mean, so it's an Austin Armstrong special, man. He brought a blitz. He's got, um, he brought a, he brought a corner blitz. He brings Jaden Hill from the star, brings the blitz on the first play. Yep. Utah's clearly expecting it. They've got max protect in and they send all three guys deep. And, and uh, Jason Marshall and Miguel Mitchell, the safety in the corner, end up switching men because Utah brought their wide receiver in motion. And Marshall never really caught up. And then you've got one deep safety who's uh, R.J. Moten who decides to take away the intermediate route rather than the long route. Now, I think you'd probably teach it, take away the long route and give them the intermediate one. Though, given how badly Miguel Mitchell was beaten, I'm pretty sure it's a touchdown no matter which guy the ball gets thrown to. <laughs> and, you know, Barnes put that ball up there for a really, really long time and Moten almost got back to tip it but 
you know, this is, this is Austin Armstrong. He plays a lot of single high safety. He brings a lot of blitzes. And, and when you play single high safety, if the safety gets out of position at all, then things are going to be open. You're going to see this a lot this year. And I guarantee you, you see it with Tennessee. Tennessee's going to have their wide receivers out really, really wide. And you're going to have a single high safety in the middle. And the quarterback is going to look to his right. The safety is going to move that direction. And he's immediately going to come back to his left and throw the ball deep or vice versa. That will happen repeatedly in that game against Tennessee, unless they decide to go to something where they, where they're not exposing their corners. And look, if you've got lockdown corners, you can do that sort of thing. But Jason Marshall was not a lockdown corner on that particular play. And so they struggled. And, and you know, this is the Austin Armstrong experience. He was 114th last year at Southern Miss in terms of 20-plus yard plays given up. Um, that's one of the things that I think I pointed out in an article about Armstrong earlier this year. Certainly something I pointed out in our preseason magazine is that he's going to get a lot of pressure and he's going to get a, give up a lot of big plays. It turns out he didn't actually get a whole lot of pressure in this one, but that one big play, and it sort of set the tone for everything, right? It took the air out of every single bubble that the Gator fans had. And the defense actually acquitted itself pretty well after that play. The problem is, is that a 70-yard touchdown is a big freaking deal when your offense only scores 11 points. And and essentially, Florida was behind the eight ball from that point the entire game. Especially you give the backup quarterback some confidence. You got a defense that's trying to establish a new identity and, and build a little confidence there as well. Um, really, I, I would say the rest of the game, you had your moments at times. I was most disappointed with the fact that they did not get a lot of pressure because that was something that the cost of yeah, the cost of what Armstrong does is that you're going to have that deep shot once in a while, and it's going to be a busted coverage. Okay, we get the risk, but the benefit is supposed to be you're supposed to get some pressure on the guy. And I really thought with the backup quarterback, I was very curious to see how that played out. Here's the difficult part for me in terms of analyzing this defense, Will. The last three possessions of, of the game for Utah, they were in a total of 12 plays. They ran a total of 12 plays. Florida, like I said, they ate up most of the fourth quarter on the offensive side of the ball with Florida. And Utah was not aggressive uh, down the stretch. They were just sitting on a 24-3 to lead. So it's hard to an- really analyze. I know some people point out that they got the, oh, there's a lot of three and outs in the second half. There's a couple three and outs in the second half. Okay. All right. But they're also up 24-3, to and they're happy to sit on that lead and, and take and, and give the ball back to Florida. Um, I, I don't know if there's something with this defense, Will, that you saw that gives you hope for this Tennessee game. But I just had, when you were talking about uh, the first play of the game, the play from the weekend that flashed into my mind was that Joe Milton pass where he almost launched it from about 20 to 20 and the receiver dropped it for Tennessee. Those opportunities might be there with Tennessee if, and it's definitely going to be something we need to clean up in the next week or two here. Yeah. I mean, so look, I think you give up the 70 yard bomb in the first, in the first quarter, they gave up 57 yards passing in the second, third and fourth quarter. They gave their offense a chance to come back and win this game. And the offense wasn't able to do it. This defense is not going to be perfect. It, we, I don't think any of us had expectations. The defense is going to be perfect. They gave up 5.1 yards per attempt or yards per play. Now that goes way down because they were at 7.3 yards per attempt in the second quarter or after the second quarter, but still at the same time, it's, uh, um, you know, the, the reality is, is that that one big play skews everything. And other than that, 
it was okay. Now the one play where they had Prince of human Milan on Micah Bernard and you know, the guy was open on the double pass. Right. Okay. Need a little bit better discipline on that. Need to not have the defensive end covering the running back coming out of the field or coming out of the backfield. But look, Utah didn't convert on that. I think the disappointing part for the defense is that after the penalty where they got back on the field and after the turnover down in the red zone, they weren't able to force him into a field goal. And if you look at it, Utah took over on the 11-yard line. It was a run for two yards, run for four yards, run for five yards. They basically said, we're stronger, bigger, more physical, and we're going to put this in here and put this in the end zone and put the game away. If Florida forces a field goal there and all of a sudden, instead of it being 24 to three, it's 20 to three, you're still behind, right? But then you get to 20 to 10. And then you get to, you know, there's an opportunity there to maybe kick a field goal at some point along the way, instead of wasting endless amounts of clock in the, on the second to last drive, it gives you an opportunity to stay in the game. And what they didn't do either time, um, either after the penalty penalty or the turnover was deal with the quick change. So I think that's one of the things to look for moving forward is that you hear defensive coordinators talk about all the time, that when there's a quick change, that's oftentimes when the offense is able to take advantage of the defense. That certainly was the case in this particular game. Um, I think Shamar James played really well. I think you look yeah, at yeah, look at the linebacker position. That's a place yes. where Florida has struggled, um, and and we didn't necessarily see that. I thought the secondary held up pretty well, considering that they're being put in a brand new defense in areas where they haven't been um, all the time. Now again, Barnes not necessarily uh, Peyton Manning back there. I don't think any of us are going to mistake him for that over the course of his career, but. You know, 57 passing yards in the second, third, and fourth quarter, sort of after you get the jitters out um, from that first big one, not terrible. So, you know, look, I'm not I'm not about to give him an A for this performance. Like you said, no pressure, no turnovers, um, you know, really not even a threat of a turnover, right? It wasn't like there were a couple of balls that got dropped by defensive backs that could have been interceptions. There really just weren't. Um, you know, the two explosive plays, but both of those go for touchdowns. And I think that's sort of the thing is there was no need to stop Utah in the red zone except for that one time. And the one time they had an opportunity, they weren't able to do it. Um, but, you know, look, I, I think if you give up 24 points on the road to a team that won the Pac-12 championship last year, you expect to be in that game. And Florida wasn't even remotely in the game. And Utah, yeah, they backed off the gas a little bit in the third and fourth quarter. But even if you look at the second quarter, Florida Florida had immediate had decreased the – the so took Utah, they got 10.9 yards per play in the first quarter, 5.3 in the second, then one in the third and 2.9 in the fourth. So – you know, look, I, I think we can say Utah side of the ball. That may absolutely be true. But even in that second quarter, 5.3 yards per attempt is like a top 40 defense. I think that's kind of where they're going to end up. They're going to end up somewhere in the 40 to 50 range. Well, and the and the success or failure is going to be number of turnovers and number of game-changing plays that they make, not, not necessarily that they're just shut down all the time. Yeah, just to remind everybody that the, the uh, penalty Will, Will was referring to, the defense did make a stop. It was the penalty with the, the two number threes on the field that cost them the first down. Well, uh, but that would have been no different than like a running the into the kicker, right? Like I understand. A, I understand. From an attitude, from, point, from the an point is, the defense did. If you want to, if you want to, I was hard on the defense, so I'm trying to give them a little love here, Will. So uh, if you want to look at it from that standpoint, they did make the stop on that possession. The special teams unit cost them. They got to go back on the field. It's like you said, got to step up. Got to take care of it. That's going to happen from time to time. And then Mertz and the offense, of course, uh, have that interception that bounces off Pearsall's hands. And that's a real tough spot. So a couple of tough, tough spots for the defense when you when all said and done, when it's added up with the 70-yard touchdown. 
not the prettiest performance and it's able to give Utah the ability to cruise in the second half and just kind of sit on the ball a little bit and not be super aggressive and try to make mistakes there. So I, my point is this, I saw some things from the defense and I think you're, you, you're highlighting it. Well, Will. I saw some things from the defense that were encouraging at times, but still too many mistakes overall. And uh, if we play Tennessee, we, if we played an offense like Tennessee with that type of performance, that's going to be about a 50, 50 spot right there. Yeah, well, here's what I'll say is that I thought the defense didn't show an enormous amount of the mistakes that we immediately saw for the offense and special teams. Like, you know, you think about it, were there physical mistakes made? Absolutely. Were there missed tackles? Sure. But they were lined up properly. They, for the most part, had their assignments right. They weren't like just out of position constantly. Um, you know, I, I think I look at it and I go, I'm okay with the team making mistakes in the first game on the road with all those young guys and giving up a couple of points because it felt like they played hard. It felt like they knew what they were supposed to do. And it felt like for the most part, they were able to execute that other than getting pressure on Utah. Um now you flip that over to the offensive side of the ball. And I think it's the complete opposite where I think they got away from what they want to do. I think that they uh, put too much pressure on a quarterback who's not capable of carrying them. I think they had way too many mistakes that you wouldn't even make in high school. And you start factoring those things in. And that's where the, 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 the criticisms of process and organizational excellence come in. So, um, you know, look, I've watched Todd Grantham defenses where nobody knew where to line up. That's not what I saw against Utah from the defensive's perspective. So I think if you're going to point at anything from a positive, it's that the organizational component of the defense seemed to be there. And as they learn this system, it's going to get better and better and better. And yeah, in that first game against a team like Tennessee, if Milton had been on, they would have given up 50 points. But look, Milton also is at the bottom of that yards above replacement um, ranking right now after he played against a decent team in Virginia, but not a really good one. And that Virginia team, like the coach afterwards, like it was just a, it was just a win for us to get on the field. And look, they went through a lot of stuff and I'm not trying to poo poo that at the same time, like the attitude of Virginia was just getting out on the field is a win for us. And, you know, once Tennessee really started to sort of put their foot on the gas, I think that uh, Virginia rightly probably just folded a little bit. And, um, you know, hopefully Florida's not going to do that. Hopefully what what will happen is, is that the organizational aspect of the defense and with a little bit more pressure, all of a sudden, if Milton's a little bit inaccurate, you get a couple of turnovers and here we go. So I'm not ready to pencil in 50 against Tennessee yet. I think there are a lot of things to look at from this defense that are encouraging. I think there are other places on the team that I'm far more concerned about. <laughs> so, um, you know, we'll, uh, We'll see what happens when we play the volunteers because, you know, I, I think it could be anywhere from 28 to 50. and But I'm not sure you're giving up less than 28. And to be honest, I think if you gave up 30 or 35 to Tennessee, you'd be like, you did a pretty decent job of holding that offense down. But that means that your offense is going to have to catch up. Yeah, that's not a, I'd sign up for that number right now if you gave it to me, Will. And, hey, man, your analysis of the Virginia Cavaliers, your Hokies showing, dude. Your Hokies, the Hokies uh, coming out there a little strong. The coach afterwards said it was just a victory to be on the field at all. I'm like, again, I'm not begrudging him the attitude. I think he's probably right. But when you say that, 
It's like it's like the bowl games that Florida's been in, where it's like, oh, that wasn't really the 2020 Gators anymore. It's like well, they yeah, went, they the went through some things in the offseason. There's some off the field stuff there. There's a, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the Again, I, that's probably where I'm that's not, coming I'm from. I'm not I'm not trying to poo-poo the stuff Virginia's been through. Yeah. I'm trying to say that when we're looking at that as an opponent for Tennessee, right, that we have to take into account that those players, it was an emotional experience for them to be on the field yeah. and they weren't necessarily running at a hundred percent and once they got down by a couple of touchdowns i guarantee you that it was like well we were out here good for us and you know the, the emotion bad, kicks in i was just point. trying to make fun of you a little bit uh, i was just trying to make fun of you a little bit that's all where uh i didn't mean to touch off a conversation about the virginia cavaliers we could move on uh <laughs> last thoughts on utah will i said this before the game i i picked utah to win this is not all that different from the type of i the, the part i did not expect was the the procedural errors the double number penalty the the mistakes like that that's the part that was ugly for me to see but in terms of starting a ton of new players Napier talked about that in the post game in his press conference there were a lot of guys making their first starts out there I know some of you are going to point to Colorado another thing the reason why the Colorado story is so freaky is because that just doesn't happen that's a weird story and uh maybe Maybe uh, having your son be a killer quarterback is not a bad feature either there, Will. That's that's not a bad feature to, to bring in either, but uh, so it's a little different. I, I wouldn't go uh, getting crazy with comparing our situations to what's going on elsewhere. Uh, in terms of what we got going on here, though, a lot, a lot of young guys getting to see the field for the first time. Uh, an offensive line that we knew there was going to be a lot of turnover. I think the pieces are there to have a good line at the end of the day. I do think that they need that time to gel a little more, more, more time than what, what's uh, what we saw on, on uh, Thursday night there. Well, so it's, it's going to need a little more time to come together for the offensive front. You hope that getting Eggleton back in, in the next uh, few weeks here is going to be something that's a positive for this team, but Hey, we're rolling. We're moving on. That's a great part about regular season football. We don't have to dwell on this for a super long time. McNeese State is coming into the swamp on Saturday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. Uh, this is going to be the first visit to the swamp for the FCS Cowboys. This is a team that in the FCS, they, they're, they've been known to make some playoff runs. Uh, they're out of Lake Charles, Louisiana, but it's an FCS team. Well, we're going to take care of business here. Like to see them get back on track. What do you really want to see? We talked about lining it up, right? Obviously, you want to see a clean game from, from the Gators, but in terms of what do you want to see in terms of the game plan, what do you want to see them come out and do on Saturday against McNeese State? Well, I mean, so look, I think McNeese gave up 554 yards to Tarleton State this past week, averaged 7.5 yards per per play. And I think that's kind of what I want to see is I want to see an efficiency in the passing game and an efficiency in the running game where you're averaging five yards a rush, where you're averaging nine or 10 yards a throw. Um, and, and you're hitting guys who are open. Cause that was the thing that maybe disturbed me the most about some of Mertz's opportunities is that there was probably an opportunity to find some guys who are open and he made more difficult throws. If, if Mertz ends up coming out of this game averaging like eight or eight and a half yards per attempt, like that's a problem because this is something where you really should be able to take advantage of a defense that's overmatched and should be able to go downfield considerably more. I'd like to see zero sacks. 
because it would be nice, zero sacks from the offense, because it would be nice to think that you can protect when you've got a physical advantage over the defense. Again, if you're giving up a bunch of sacks, that doesn't bode well for Tennessee the next week. And finally, I just want to see the guys fly all over the place. I didn't feel like... Um, and it might have been that the television was a little bit muted when it came to when it came to Utah. I didn't think that the that the that the crowd was really that loud. When, at least it didn't come across that way on TV. And the and the popping of the pads wasn't really as as robust as I thought it might be for an opening game. So I'd like to see him really sort of going to the ball, um, swarming to the ball, ripping the ball out, having multiple guys when there's a tackle, um, just a physical part where you say, look, we're going to impose our will on the opposition. That's what I want to see, right? I want to see physical domination of an opponent who should be physically dominated. And if it ends up being like a cutesy thing where you're not, where you're not taking advantage of those physical disadvantages, then I think you're missing an opportunity to give your players confidence, but also to, uh, to, to sort of um, reestablish how you want to play the game. Yeah, I, I watched uh, that Miami game on Friday night, and it wasn't anything particularly pretty. It was just real physical. Just beat the, they just beat them up on the line of scrimmage. I'd like to see something like that, especially after not running the ball very much at Utah. I would really like to see Napier come out and just send a message that, hey, we're going to be a hard-nosed physical team on the offensive side of the ball, like, like we were for a lot of last year. And – I want Tennessee to have to prepare for that running game because if we go out and we try to play a shootout with Joe Milton and Josh Heupel, I, I, I don't think that's the angle against Tennessee. I, last season it almost worked, but you have the number four quarterback in the draft. It's going to be a different story this year. I think we got to run the ball and play a real clean football game against Tennessee, and I want to see a glorified practice against McNeese State for that game plan. Well, hey, it's a seven o'clocker, so uh, you know by the time we start breaking it down, it'll be uh, it'll it'll be late. But uh, you know, look, I, I think this is an opportunity to 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 lick some of the wounds, and and there's a reason why teams open up with cupcakes every year, and one of the reasons is is that the the procedural issues and the and the stuff that disappointed us about Utah, I think. If it happens in a game against McNeese State when you win 56 to 10, nobody pays any attention to it as long as it doesn't carry over to the next week. So, you know, hey, you got those out against Utah. It turns into a loss. It would have been better to have had that first game against McNeese, maybe get those jitters out of the way and then be able to play Utah full board. But hey, that's not the way the schedule sits. So now you got to make the best of it. And look, you can't go, you can't go two and one until you've gone one and one. So you still got to go out there and get the job done against McNeese. But also, this is an opportunity to get some confidence and move things forward. And look, I mean, Dan Mullen did it with uh, Felipe Franks there in 2018. Really, sort of established his confidence in in an early game. I think it was Charleston Southern. He threw like five or six touchdowns and, and threw for like 400 yards. And it was a way of sort of establishing that hey, Felipe Franks can do this. And look, there were some ups and downs that year, right? I mean, there's no doubt about it that there were some ups and downs that year. But I can even remember. I think it was after the Missouri game where Franks was really, really bad. I think the team was what, like five and three. And we're sitting there staring at, at six and six. And all of a sudden they just start, start reeling off wins, finish the year 10 and three. Same thing happened for Florida state last year, right? Florida state was, I think four and three after seven games and then one six straight. Um, so there's an opportunity now. Look, I, I don't know Florida is going to necessarily win six straight given that they've got Georgia LSU and Florida state on the back end of their schedule, but I don't know that they need to win those games. I think I want to see them be competitive, be tough, be physical, and really use this stretch of games 
games maybe aren't quite as difficult to prepare themselves for what's coming up. Cause we all watched that Florida state game the other night. They just absolutely punched LSU in the mouth in the second half. So that's, what's coming. That's what's on the schedule coming up. And uh, you know, it's, you're going to have to be a hard nosed football team. This team's going to have to establish that identity. And that starts against this on Saturday against McNeese state. Well, let's hope, uh, let's hope we see a shift. Well, let's hope we see a shift or at least a, a clean football game against McNeese state on Saturday night. Uh, any other final thoughts before we head out? Nah, man, just, Hey, it, it, I, I, I texted you before Merry Christmas on Thursday and, uh, you know, we got some lumps of coal there Thursday night. So hopefully, <laughs> hopefully we get some presents this week. College football is like that for me. It's like every Saturday, it's like Christmas, but every Saturday you get to open up a new present. So, uh, McNeese is a present where we're expecting something very significant or we're expecting something to be easy. And, uh, you know, obviously in a couple of weeks against Tennessee, we're expecting that one to be tough, but, uh, you know, hopefully the, the lumps of coal are over with and we'll start seeing some, uh, seeing some decent presents coming down the pike. Yeah. And you know, we did talk about it in the magazine patience patience we're going to analyze the mistakes on this show we're going to talk about what the gators can do better that's part of the fun of the season is to be able to break down these games and go over everything but keeping the big picture in mind with this program and where it's going that that's really something that i think most gator fans have to do and you're going to get made fun of on twitter uh, people are going to be talking to you at your job it's going to suck some weeks are just going to suck this year but just keep the big picture in mind. I, it's like I said last week, you ever get too upset, just start looking up highlights of DJ Lagway and uh, just know that the future of Florida football is uh, going to be in good hands here. So I'd say stay patient, keep that patience, but you still, hey, we got a game on Saturday. We're the University of Florida. We're going to try to win the game, Will. So we got to figure this out in season two, but uh, just stay patient overall. That would be the overall message that I would want to send out. Uh, go hang out with 90,000 of your closest friends this weekend and uh, stay safe out there. Have a great week, everybody. Go Gators. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Stand Up and Holler. If you're interested in more information from me and Nick, you can go over to readandreaction.com. You can like and subscribe our YouTube channel here at Read and Reaction, or you can go to patreon.com slash readandreaction to support us, get extra information, and we do ask anythings over there every once in a while as well. So check us out. Thanks for listening.